this month we've been looking at ways that we can do just that, to surrender all that we are and all that we have to the Lord, to, to give ourselves as fractured and as flawed and as, as broken as we can be to Him and to let Him help to build a better version of ourselves. Now, we're talking about far more than just New Year's resolutions. And that, that prayer, that Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 that we heard read earlier, has been sort of our prayer. It's been our, our theme verse, asking God to examine our hearts and lives, to point out our wrong motives, to clarify the misperceptions that we sometimes fall under, and to root out the sin in our lives that can lead us astray from His path. And so we've been focusing this month on rebuilding our lives in four key areas. We started by looking at our worship, and then we talked about our witness. Last week we looked at our spiritual walk, and today we're going to wrap this up by talking about how we need to and how we can reshape our work. As Ben was saying in the children's sermon, work can be a loaded word, can it? And most of us tend to think of work in a negative way, right? And we talk about Monday as if it's, you know, the death knell, right? I mean, it's Monday, I've got to go to work. And then we immediately start looking forward to what? Friday, right? Yeah, the weekend. We just, we, we dread going to work. We can't wait to get out of work. You know, we, we have such a negative connotation. Kids hate having homework. We may or may not like the idea of working out. I do not. So, but it's work, right? And then we've got yard work. We've got housework. And as a pastor, I can tell you, it isn't always easy to get people to volunteer to do church work. You know, maybe serving the Lord by working in the nursery or being a vacation Bible school worker or working upward basketball. But here's the thing about work. And this is why we need to reshape our work. Because most of the time when we hear the word work, we think of work work. That, that paid job that we have to, to go to, and we think of that and housework and church work as somehow being different, right? Because work work is your paid job. You get paid to do that. Church work, well, that's volunteer work. And, and you don't have to do it, but you can do it. It'd be really nice. And then there's the, the chores at home, which is just this necessary work that we just kind of have to do or the dishes pile up and nobody gets fed, right? That's no good. But here's the thing. From God's perspective, there's really no difference between any of those kinds of work. All of our work is more deeply connected than we realize. And that's why Paul said in our New Testament reading, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord. Because guess what? You are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all of your work is to Him. Now, Jesus said in John 5, 17, My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. You see, from the moment that Adam and Eve blew it in the garden and sin entered into our DNA, God has been at work to redeem fallen humanity so that we could live forever with Him. God is never and will never, until Christ returns, stop working to save you and to shape you into the image of Christ. So we are created to work. God the Father is always at work. Did you know that when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, He gave them work to do? 
See, some Christians are under the misperception that, uh, that work is a part of the curse of sin. But that's not the case. The fact that we dread it and we hate Monday mornings is a part of the curse. But work is a sacred task. God gave Adam and Eve a job to do. God created us to work. God is at work. And Paul tells us that as Christians, we are saved to work. Now, don't get me wrong. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's the gift of God so that none of us can boast. But Paul goes on to say that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to what? Do good works, which God has even prepared in advance for us to do. God is always at work. He has created and saved us to work. Therefore, work is a sacred calling. It is a holy task. It carries eternal rewards with it. But the sad thing is, is that most Christians don't recognize their unique place in God's kingdom and in His work in this world. God has called us to the greatest task ever given. He's called us to be a part of His great rescue plan. We've been given the most urgent and important job imaginable. But just like these precious preschoolers that were up here today, we are all created uniquely in the image of God. No two of us are alike. Now, this morning I realized something really interesting. And that's that today is the 60th birthday of this little thing. You know what this is? Come on, moms and dads, you've stepped on a few of them. It's a Lego brick. Now, my family are huge Lego fans. We love Lego at my house. And this little thing turned 60 years old today. That's, that's amazing. Um, now, I want to tell you just a couple of statistics about this. There are 900 billion of these in the world right now. And they're all in your living room floor, right, at 3 a.m. That's 62 of these for every human being on the planet. That's amazing. Now, there are, if you took six of these bricks, and these are little uh, two-by-four bricks, if you took six of these bricks... Some mathematician who's way smarter than me said that there are 915 million different combinations with just six of these. That's unreal. 915 million different combinations. So when your kid is bored, give them six of these and tell them to start counting. <laughs> there, and, and there's more than just these bricks, which come, this one's in my favorite color, orange, by the way, but they come in 52 different colors. And there are actually 2,350 different Lego elements, which means if you take all those different elements in those 52 colors, there's over 7,000 unique elements. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because there's a lesson here for us. You and I are not all that different from a Lego brick. There's a lot of us. And we're unique. And we have different colors and shades. And we have different makeups and abilities and and if you put us all together, we can do infinitely more than we can ever ask or imagine. You see, God has created us and saved us to work. And He's given us all the same basic job description to make disciples and to worship Him and to grow in our faith. But God has uniquely shaped each of us. He has uniquely equipped each of us to accomplish that task in the most powerful, life-changing, and world-impacting ways. The sky is the limit. Our imaginations aren't big enough to comprehend all the ways in which we can be a part of God's plan in the world. Jeremiah said it this way, the potter formed the clay into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. 
And Paul said that God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. So God has shaped us. God has placed us together in all these different combinations of all these different churches, like Lego bricks or like pieces in a jigsaw puzzle, so that together we can display a complete picture of who Jesus Christ is to the world. When Christ gave us the great commission in Matthew 28, He promised us His Holy Spirit that would give us His presence, His power, His authority. God has commissioned you to make disciples, to serve those in need, all to God's glory, but He's also equipped you with a unique shape. And I want us to spend the rest of our time thinking about that word, shape, and how we can consider how God has shaped us for His service. Let's take that first letter, the letter S. Let's let that stand for spiritual gifts. God has given every believer spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And I just want to share a few things about spiritual gifts this morning. We're just going to touch on the high points here. Spiritual gifts are not like ingredients. When God gives spiritual gifts, it's not that He's giving you things so much as He's giving you a person. He's giving you Himself. See, I believe that there's really only one gift. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes into us as, as Christians, and, and, and it's a gift of grace. It's not anything that we earn. He, he fills us with His Spirit. And, and so when we are teaching or preaching, when we are giving or serving, these are all manifestations of the Spirit who's at work in and through us. So each spiritual gift is really just a different expression of God's grace equipping you for the task at hand. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to feel, fulfill His good purposes. Now, let's talk for a few minutes about what spiritual gifts are not. Spiritual gifts are not abilities. Okay, we'll talk about abilities in a minute. They're not personality. We'll talk about personality in a minute. Spiritual gifts are not the same as calling. Your calling from God is the what of your life. Spiritual gifts are the how. And spiritual gifts are not the same as the fruit of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are more of a doing quality. The fruit of the Spirit is a being quality. And every Christian is called to exhibit all of the fruit of the Spirit, but no one Christian expresses all of the gifts of the Spirit. That's why the hand needs the foot and the eyes need the mouth. We all need each other to be the body of Christ. We also need to be clear on the purpose of spiritual gifts. Now, back in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul wrote, Now, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. And then in Ephesians 4, 12, he adds, They are given so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up. So, spiritual gifts are not for you. My spiritual gifts that I have are not for me. They belong to God to bring Him glory, and they are given to me to edify, to build up, to encourage, to equip and enhance the church, the body of Christ. So our spiritual gifts are given so that we can edify each other and so that we can glorify God. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So it's all about edifying each other, building each other up, so that God can be glorified. So however God has shaped you, remember that you have been gifted, you have been shaped for a purpose. Now, the Bible mentions that about 19 different spiritual gifts in various passages of Scripture. And as I said, no one Christian has all of these gifts. And that's why we all need each other. And also, no one gift is more important or spiritual than another. We all have different spiritual gifts, but we must work together so that the body of Christ can function. The last thing I want to say about spiritual gifts is how can you discover what your spiritual gifts are? Well, a couple of, of things. First, you can ask God to reveal them to you. God wants you to know how He is equipping you and how He is gifting you to serve His kingdom. You can study the Bible. And there in your sermon notes uh, on the back of your order of worship are some passages of Scripture that talk about spiritual gifts. You can go and read those. Explore the possibilities through serving. You'll never know if you've got the gift of teaching if you don't try to what? Teach. You don't know if you've got the gift of, of giving unless you... Step out there in faith and you give something extravagantly and see how God blesses you. Evaluate your effectiveness. You know, if you, if you try your hand at something, I might be gifted in this way, and you try it. After you're done, step back and look at it and see how did that make me feel? How did that go? Was God being glorified? Were people being edified? And finally, listen for affirmation from others. Other people in the body of Christ can tell you and affirm you. Say, you know what? You said something the other day and it was so encouraging. You really bless my heart. Thank you for, for comforting me. You might have the gift of encouragement. The main thing to remember is that no matter what God may ask you to do, He will always gift you in that moment to do it. So whatever sacred moment God presents you with, obey Him in faith. Trust Him to give you whatever it is, the, the, the grace, the wisdom, the skill, the power that you need to accomplish that job. That's the most important thing. Spiritual gifts help to shape us. But also our heart passions help to shape who we are. Our heart passions. In Romans 12, Paul writes, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now the root word zeal in the Greek literally means hot enough to boil over. Okay, Anybody ever put a, a, a pot on the stove, maybe put a lid on it, and it boiled over? Happens to me all the time. To be zealous means to burn in your heart for something so much, it, you can't contain it. Your heart is just so passionate, so on fire for something, that it literally just it boils over. Jeremiah talks about this. He says in Jeremiah 29, But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah is saying, I can't keep quiet. I'm so zealous for the God's Word and to proclaim His message. If I try to be quiet, I'm just going to explode. That is passion. What is your God-given passion? Finding out your passion and living out your passion, and that's not necessarily your 9-to-5 job either. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It's your mission in life. It's what God has called you to do. It's what He has empowered you to do. It's what He's given you a passion for. To find that and live that out can be the greatest source of peace and joy and satisfaction and fun. 
How do you discover what your heart passion is? Well, just consider some questions like these. What do you most love to do? What service opportunities appeal to you the most? Some people like to be up front. Some people don't like to be up front. What are, what are the different service opportunities that appeal to you? Who do you find yourself drawn to that you want to help? What, what burden do you often find yourselves seized by? What opportunities do you find yourself drawn toward to help other people? And if you had no fear of failure, and if you had limitless time and resources, boy, wouldn't that be nice? What would you do with your life that would bring you the most satisfaction and joy? That is your heart passion. That's what you're zealous for. And that is part of how God has shaped you. Another area that God shapes us through is our abilities. I mentioned that earlier, that abilities and spiritual gifts are not the same thing. Now, in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, Paul says, for, or, I'm sorry, the psalmist says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. See, God doesn't wait until you become a Christian to begin shaping you. The psalmist says that even in the womb, God is at work shaping you into the person that you are today. Making you unique. Giving you natural talents and abilities. Now, for a long time, I used to beat myself up about the fact that I was not very uh, gifted when it came to athletics. Okay, I am just a big klutz out there on the basketball court or the baseball field or whatever. I just have no coordination. I just am not athletically inclined. And I used to really struggle with that. I wanted to excel in sports as a child, but it just wasn't in me. But I've learned that instead of obsessing over our perceived weaknesses, and trying to, instead of trying to become better at something that God just never really intended for us to be good at, we need to maximize our strengths. We need to discover what we are good at. Play up those things that God has designed you to do. Why should we try to be better at things that God has placed other people on the earth to do? We need to be better at the things God has placed us on the earth to do. We need to focus on being the best at what God has shaped us to be. In the Bible, David was good at music, so he wrote psalms. He was good at slaying wild beasts, so he killed Goliath, became a mighty warrior and a general. He had, a nat he had natural leadership abilities, so he became a king. Do you think he let the fact that he was the youngest and smallest of his brothers keep him down? No. David leveraged what he was good at for God's glory. What are you good at? What are your natural abilities and talents? What skills have you learned and developed and have become good at? God wants you to leverage those for His glory and for His kingdom. Another way God shapes us is through our personality. We each have distinct likes and dislikes and how we live, and how we relate to other people, and how we make decisions, and, and how we organize our lives. Some people like a, a file system. Some people like a pile system. We have both of those in my office area, and I'm not going to name any names. Matt, 
<laughs> Nobody else does. <laughs> that there, there you go. Smart, smart man. So, you know, these kinds of preferences are what we call personality types. So think about it this way. Spiritual gifts, our heart passions, our abilities, they tell us what we're supposed to do. But our personality helps us discover how we get those things done, where we choose to carry out God's will for our lives. For example, if you're gifted with the spiritual gift of teaching, your abilities and your personality type work together to influence whether you're best at teaching through writing, through one-on-one conversations, maybe mentoring someone, whether you best use that spiritual gift of teaching in a small group setting or standing up and speaking in front of a crowd. It's your abilities and your personality that help to influence how you carry out that spiritual gift of teaching. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, the Bible is full of all sorts of different personality types. We know Jeremiah was emotional. He cried a lot. Daniel was bold. And he was a courageous leader. Saul and Amos were both timid, shy, quiet men who hid when God called them to public service. Peter was was impulsive. He would often speak first and think later. And Mary and Martha were two sisters that were about as different as day and night could be. There are lots of personalities in this room as well. And there are great resources out there to help you kind of explore and play around with what maybe your personality type is. I encourage you to do that. But, but really, discovering our personality involves just answering some simple questions like, where do I get my energy from? Do I get my energy from being alone or with a few people? Or do I get it from being with a lot of people? You know, where, uh, how do I get information? How do I learn best? How do I make decisions? How do I plan my work? You think about those kinds of things, you begin to understand how God has shaped your personality. There are a couple of important things I want us to remember about personality. First is that you are more than your personality. Just because you're more introverted doesn't mean you can't make friends, right? And I know lots of pastors that are introverts, but they are pastoring churches and they stand up and preach on Sunday mornings. So don't let your personality type become an excuse for not doing something that God wants you to do. Amen? Okay, can we agree on that? And the second thing I want you to remember is don't resent your personality type. Don't try to change who God has made you to be. Celebrate it. Work in to those personality strengths. Because we need people who are thinkers and people who are feelers. We need introverts and extroverts. Thank God for how He made you and ask Him to help you use your personality for His glory. And the final way that God shapes us are through our life experiences. In Romans 8, 28, Paul said, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan for your life, and He uses all the events of your life to form you into the image of Christ. He uses our life experiences to help us know Him deeper and love and trust Him more. And through those experiences, we can serve the church and make disciples. And there are lots of different examples of life experiences. Some of them are painful. We think about losing a loved one. We think about a moral failure. We think about losing your job or or, or battling cancer. Some life experiences are painful. And in the Bible, we read about Job and the man born blind and Paul's thorn in the flesh and Peter's denial of Jesus. 
And in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5, Paul gives us this powerful word as we face painful experiences in life. He says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. God allows us to experience painful times in part so that we can be a source of comfort and help to others as they go through painful times. But some life experiences are joyful. The birth of a child, getting married, being honored for an accomplishment, getting a promotion. Some life experiences are spiritual experiences. Your testimony of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Something that God has taught you through His Word, an amazing answered prayer, an opportunity you had to lead someone else to the Lord. Those kinds of spiritual experiences shape us. I think about when Samuel heard God speak, when Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Isaiah's powerful worship experience in the temple. Jonah's conversion experience in the belly of a whale. Jacob's all-night wrestling match with the angel of the Lord. These are spiritual experiences, and sometimes we have those kinds of experiences that leave us so radically altered that it's as if we become a new person. We gain a new identity in Christ. It's almost as if we have a new name. These kinds of life experiences shape us into who we are. They give us a unique perspective. But we have to be careful because life experiences, whether they're good or bad, they can affect us positively or negatively. And the choice is ours. We can let them make us bitter or bolder, hardened or softened, embarrassed or empowered. We need to take the time to reflect on our life experiences, to, to unpack the important events of our lives. Maybe for you it's to write about them or to talk to someone about them or just to pray to God about them. And let Him turn them into something that you can use to share your story with others. I want to challenge you this week to take some time. Use these notes, these sermon notes, and, and consider yourself. Consider how you were made fearfully and wonderfully. Think about how God has gifted you and shaped you for a reason. God has a work for each of you to do. And what if we considered how God has shaped us and we allowed that to shape our attitudes and our approaches to work? What if you considered how God has shaped you and you let that change the way you think about your 9 to 5? Maybe Monday morning will be a joyous time instead of a time to groan about. Your schoolwork, young people, your chores at home, our acts of service in and through the church and in the community. Wherever you are working, God is there. And He wants you to glorify Him in your work. He wants you to serve others through your work. He wants you to live on mission and make disciples wherever you go, whatever you do. And guess what? God has equipped you with everything you need to do that. He's given it to you already. I want to invite you to look at the screen and just... These are the, the words from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Let's say them together as a prayer. Just asking God to help us take everything we've been talking about today and in the past weeks and to make us the people He would have us to be. Would you just say these words with me? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. You know, David wrote these words after he spent the whole psalm reflecting 
on how God had knit him in his mother's womb, how God knew him and, and shaped him into who he was. I pray this morning you'd let God reveal to you how he has made you, how he has saved you, how he is shaping you to be the person that he would have you to be. And I pray that you would answer his call on your life and you would live into that shape, that you would celebrate it and that you would cherish it and you would use it for God's glory. This morning, maybe you're here and you don't even know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This may be your first time ever in church or it may be your thousandth time in church. But if you've never confessed your sin and your brokenness and thrown yourself at the mercy of God and asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, God stands ready and waiting for you to do that today so that you can be filled with His Spirit, so that you can fully understand who God created you to be. This morning, maybe God is calling you to unite with this church family. Or maybe God has been tugging at your heart to, to serve in some way. Or maybe even change careers and follow Him down a, an unconventional path. And you've just been afraid to do it. Maybe today is the day for you to surrender and say, Lord, I answer your call. Whatever God has spoken to you, let's stand together and sing. I'll be standing down front for you to come and respond to His prompting.